0: Welcome to Marine Creek. Glad you're here. This is a, this is going to be an interesting weekend. Um, uh, we are going to be we're talking about a very sensitive topic, and uh, the best way I can explain what's been going on this morning is all hell has been coming against us. Uh, it, it, we have been fighting technical issues, all kinds of stuff. We'll call it um, that's a polite way to say it. And uh, I got a text and just laughed. Um, one of our families was on their way to church at the first service. And they said, I can't get through the access road because of the drag boat races. I'm thinking, those stinking drag boats, you can't trust them for anything. Um, but uh, so the drag boats are going on, so we'll be, we can go over and watch that. And uh, My money's on number two, I'm just kidding. Um, I have to make a joke about it, otherwise I'll cry, um, actually. It, this has been one of those heavy weekends, and uh, this has honestly been a heavy week. Our, our church family has been hurting this week with one of our own, and uh, yesterday was a, a hard uh, process. Uh, we, uh, uh, the Goodman family, whose son, 18 years old, uh, was uh, killed in a car accident last Saturday. His service was yesterday. And we, we gathered and, and uh, took that hard walk together. And uh, so keep praying for the Goodman family, and we're going to be lifting them up. And uh, they're going to need a lot of uh, ministry over the next couple uh, weeks and days and months. And so uh, commit them to prayer. And then... Um, I honestly wish uh, a year and a half in this journey of Matthew, and we're at the crucifixion story this week. Um, So God knows what He's doing, um, but I honestly thought, well, maybe, man, God, since it's been such a heavy week, maybe we ought to push this out. But I just feel like we just need to to recenter ourselves around the cross. Um, You know, this morning is a tough teaching. We're going to be talking about the physical suffering of Jesus uh, in the cross and honestly, I think uh, a lot of the technical issues and challenges we've had this morning is because the enemy does not want us to, to glorify God through this. Uh, the enemy doesn't want us to put our hope in an empty cross, in an empty tomb, and in a Savior who gave his life for us. Uh, the enemy is going to do whatever he can to distract it. Uh, if you don't believe in demons, you should work in our tech ministry. Um, not because our tech, tech guys and, and ladies are demons, but... Uh, um, Anything that can go wrong, if you have anything uh, electronic, man, it's something like the devil can work on an electronic frequency, I don't know. Maybe he's a microwave devil or something, but uh, it's, it's just anything that can go wrong. So I want to give a shout out to our tech crew. They have done an amazing job. Thank you guys. We love y'all. Um, most, of the time, most of the time they take the blame for a lot of my my, my problems, but today it's just been a, a challenge and they... Uh, have uh, worked hard. They carry a lot of stress. Uh, Their worship is putting all of this on for for us. So for us to see and hear and and understand and gather this, that's how they uh, set their stage of worship for us. Um, And then our musicians and play. And and so it's all part of worship when we gather. So I want to thank them. But we are going to, we're, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, a year and a half, uh, and, and this is where kind of the, the Gospel story and the, what Matthew is writing tends to move towards that climax. I mean, if you think about it and you look at history, everything before the cross looks to it uh, in, in, in hopes and in its coming, and one day the Messiah will come and He will redeem us. And then everything that we live on this side of the cross, we look back. ...at the cross and how it defines us, how it defines history, how it defines redemption, how it defines salvation, uh, all of the, the, the big religious words and Christian words we use like atonement, imputation, all of that boils down to the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus being appropriated on the cross. This morning we're going we're gonna to start looking at this, the physical suffering that took place on the cross. I will tell you this is going to be difficult... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the medical side and the physiological side of the cross that Jesus endured. Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. And, and, and we're told in Hebrews, we don't have a great high priest who doesn't understand. We have a high priest who has gone through everything and overcome everything. And so I want us to understand. And, and we're not going through this. This isn't going to be the slow motion passion of the Christ replay. I think Hollywood does it quite an injustice by, uh, by doing it in slow motion and kind of plays with our emotions so that we start to have sympathy for Jesus and we start to feel sorry for Him. Uh, I will tell you, Jesus doesn't want our sympathy. He wants our loyalty. Uh, he doesn't want us to feel sorry for Him. He wants us to serve Him, to follow Him, to glorify Him, uh, to lay ourselves as a sacrifice before Him. Uh, Jesus, is, he, Jesus is a man among boys. When you look at him in comparison to all of humanity, uh, we tend to make Jesus out to be a victim, uh, that he was abused into this situation, and and we kind of slow play this. We're not going to do that this morning. I don't want want you to, to be guilted into loving Jesus. That's the last thing he wants to do. Jesus doesn't want us to gather in guilt around his sacrifice and say, well, I guess I need to change my life because I feel guilty. Uh, that's going to lead into a lot of religious baggage that you probably don't want to deal with in your future. What Jesus wants is for us to fall in love with Him and to be transformed, and so transformed by that love that it affects everything we do in life. And we're going to look at this this morning, and this is this is a little tough. Uh, this is where this the suffering that we've been talking about the last several weeks uh, begins to come to this culmination. Uh, We saw Jesus come into Jerusalem. Uh, We saw the suffering that began in Matthew 26 uh, with the betrayal, with the desertion, with false accusations, with the mental anguish of the garden. It's been a very stressful week for Jesus. We've spent about two months studying this week of Jesus' life, um, and it's been a stressful week. You ever have a stressful week? I mean, we're just like, you just want it to be done You wish you could go to sleep and wake up and it's a brand new week. Um, Some of you have had months like that. I know. Um, We've sat and talked about it. And uh, I want us to begin to look at what's getting ready to happen. So if you've got your Bible, um, go to Matthew 27. And uh, we're going to spend some time uh, going through Matthew 27. We're not going to read all of that. i actually put that in your further study this week. So you can read the different gospel accounts uh, of the crucifixion, the trial, and, and what is going on. And there's, there's all of, I've explained this to you before, the gospel accounts, they were all there, they witnessed it, and they were writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What they're, see, what they're writing from is different perspectives. It's just like the, the, the explosion or football season today. You can log on to NFL Red Zone, and if you pay their, their fee, you can go on your computer and see all the different camera angles. Same game. I mean, you can just watch a touchdown or an interception thrown by said man on said team from different angles. That's basically what it means. Uh, I'm not picking on anybody. I said said man, said team. You can fill in the blanks. Um, We're all adults here who love football and uh, want our fantasy teams to do well. But um, I'm going to win this week. We did something dangerous. We started a Creek Fantasy Football League, and uh, these guys are brutal, man. They actually know about football. I was really hoping I could slide in there and, and have some good players. No, it doesn't work that way in our, in our, our world. But uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this, and there's different perspectives. This is, this is all the gospel account from different perspectives of the different disciples. But we're going to look at Matthew specifically. So uh, the, the first thing that I want to do is I want to kind of build us up uh, to how Jesus even got to the cross and the physical process that takes place. And um, if you've got your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have them on the end of the rows for you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. We would love for you to have that. And uh, I'm going to go to Matthew uh, 27. I'm going to start in verse uh, 22. Um, What's happened at this point is Jesus has been brought before Pilate. And um, Pilate is, uh, he's questioned Jesus. And and honestly, Pilate doesn't find a fault with Jesus. Uh, Pilate actually wants... You know, he gets some, some wisdom from his wife. Guys, I don't know if you ever get that. I do. I have a very wise wife. Um, I call her HS2, the Holy Spirit 2. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's able to give me some very insightful wisdom. And, and Pilate's wife said, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. And so uh, as a guy, that puts you in this serious quandary. And uh, Pilate finds himself in that quandary. And uh, he presents Barabbas, uh, a pretty rough guy... Um, been convicted, people know he's he's, he's a rough guy, bad guy. He goes, which one do you want me to release? It's customary that I release one. Which one do you want? And I think Pilate's acting the parent role there when he's saying, do you want Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas, Jesus, Barabbas. And they they said, no, we want Jesus. And this is what Pilate says in verse 22. He says, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ, Pilate asked, They answered, crucify him. That's one of the most insightful questions I think that a human can ask in Scripture. I mean, think about the depth of that question. Pilate's asking it to a crowd uh, of people in front of him, but Pilate should have been asking this question to himself. What do you want me to do with Jesus? What should I do with Jesus? I think when we can get to that point in our life that we can answer that question honestly, then life transforms (laughs) through that process. Because we're all confronted with Jesus. What should I do with Jesus? Do I accept Him? Do I reject Him? It's one or the other. I mean, apathy is a, is a choice to reject it. And, and it just says, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. And we think, well, we'll put that choice off to a later date. And I'm not trying to guilt or shame or scare anyone in anything. I'm just, I'm speaking truth here. And Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And the crowd shouted, crucify Him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was going nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. Now think about this crowd. Just a week before, these people were shouting, Hail to the king of the Jews, or Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus didn't fit their bill and meet their expectations, they're now shouting crucify him. He didn't play the game my way. And so Pilate washes his hands, physically washes his hands, picks it, says, I'm done. It's yours. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation and it kind of might go to an accusatory tone and they're like... That's what Pilate's doing. He's like, ooh, ooh, wash my hands. I don't want to have anything to do with it. What's interesting about Pilate, and, and the crowd said, let his blood be on our hands and our children's hands. The crowd says, we'll take that blood. They had no idea what they were inviting on themselves. Interesting thing about Pilate, Pilate washed his hands. History records that Pilate went crazy, ended up killing his family, And roaming the streets. And as a crazy man, he spent his life doing this with his hands. He would always wring his hands. Trying to get that blood off. Because he couldn't reconcile what he should have done with Jesus and what he did do. And so, we've got to understand here that that we try to blame Pilate, we try to blame the crowd, we try to blame everybody. Jesus didn't go to the cross because of anyone's fault he went to the cross because of everyone's fault i mean it is our sin that that led jesus to the cross and we have to understand that that the cross um jesus suffered greatly on the cross because of the greatness of our sin that i think that the the glory that jesus is and the redemption that he brings has to outshine the suffering And I think the suffering is great because the sin was great. So the first thing uh, Pilate did is when he handed him over, he said, And all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We read this word flogged, and it's just kind of one of those things that goes, Okay, so Jesus was flogged. let, let, let's understand, to a first century reader, or to a Jewish reader in the first century when Matthew was writing this, or even any of the, the disciples in the gospel accounts, they would say flogged. We think flogged, and, and let me give you some background behind that. Flogging, it was a much more severe process of beating. Um, it, was, it was a whipping, it was a scourging, it, was, it's, it goes beyond pick your switch, Have you ever... I don't know if you... I grew up on a farm, um, and so I I had the task of picking my switch at times. Um, What a painful process that was. You look at it, and you're trying to... This one's too small. This one's... I can't walk up with a tree trunk, but if I walk up with a dead stick, it ain't gonna be good. So you're trying to pick your switch. I thought that's what Sunday routine was around my house, honestly. I thought being a Christian meant you get up on Sunday mornings... You go to Sunday school and have the cookies and the watered-down uh, Kool-Aid. And then uh, you go through about a third of children's church until the leader can't handle you in there anymore. And you finish out the service with, between mom and dad. You go home. Uh, some days you would pick your switch. Some day you just get your spanking. And then you have lunch and go about the rest of the day. I thought that's what following Jesus was, you know. Um, That was a long... uh, We had a long driveway, by the way, but that was a quick trip up the hill. I mean, it felt like as soon as I picked the switch, it was like, beam them up, Scotty. (laughs) I'm there, what? what? I haven't even started crying yet, man. Um, Which didn't help. Uh, So anyway, but let's understand what this uh, flogging is. Uh, It was a process where the the person being flogged will be brought into the public uh, square. He would be stripped naked and tied to a post the The first whip that would be used would have leather tails on it that would have iron balls tied into the tails uh, and he the person being flogged in this case Jesus would be whipped with these uh, tails. Uh, the only purpose of the first whip was to tenderize the meat then another whip would be used that would have shards of bone or 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 hooks in it and when it would be come across his back, it would be pulled so that uh, flesh would be torn. It, it was very common that, that uh, a man did not survive the flogging. Uh, it was also common in a flogging that by the end of it, uh, bone from the back would be visible and uh, internal organs would be, uh, would be able to be seen. I, I don't say this to move you, to gross you out, or, or to even for you to, uh, to be... Uh, sympathetic of Jesus. He willingly walked this road. Uh, Jesus here is not a victim. He's a victor. In Isaiah 52 and 53, it says that by his stripes we're healed. Uh, I, I can imagine that as Jesus is feeling the pain of those stripes being borne on his back, he's thinking, I'm, this is for the healing of my children. This is so that they can have wholeness of life. I can, I can only hope that that's what would sustain him in that time. And so Jesus was handed over to be flogged. And then uh, the soldiers took him from there to be mocked. The second thing is mockery. Now, I, in, in elementary school and middle school, I've been through the process of being mocked. Um, and I know we tend to think that it doesn't carry a physical uh, connotation to it or doesn't affect us physically. You know, the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Um, Whoever said that was wrong, Uh, uh, sometimes the words hurt uh, worse. And uh, the next thing is the mockery. In verse 27, uh, the soldiers uh, take Jesus. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole community of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. Um, To understand some of what's going on, uh, the robe that would be put on him would probably have dried to his back. Um, When I was a kid, I, I burned my ankle pretty bad. And... I would put, I was wearing socks, and those socks would stick to that wound um, to the point where I wouldn't wear socks for a long time. Or to get the socks off, I remember having to soak my foot in the bathtub. Uh, you, under, you, 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 you get what I'm going at. Uh, they pulled that robe off and reopened those wounds. Um, they placed thorns on his, his head. Uh, native to that area, the thorns would have been two and a half to three inches long, Um, and would be very strong in nature. Uh, They did not just set that crown on his head. Um, As they mocked him, they gave him his crown of thorns, and they gave him a a wooden stick as his scepter. And they would use that stick uh, to hit him in the head as they mocked him. Uh, You can do the math on what they were hitting. And and I want us to understand something, that uh, they are mocking Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, they are using a stick for his scepter and thorns for his crown. But here's the one thing that I I love about uh, God. He uh, will redeem the pain. He will glorify his son. God will get glory. Uh, God will either glorify his son by saving me or judging me. I mean, if you think about it, uh, he is not going to let Jesus be trampled. But he understands that he has to let his son go through this process because of what is coming. Let, let me read you what is coming. Okay, so we've got the crown of thorns and the, the, the stick scepter here. Uh, I'm going to switch over here to Revelation 19. And I, I just want to read to you real quickly. going to start in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, What did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a week earlier? A donkey. He's coming in a horse this time. Power, the king, is coming. White horse, whose rider was called faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. God will glorify his son. Even through mockery, even through pain, even through the flogging, the stripes are for our healing and God will glorify his son. Um, I want us to, to move into the, the crucifixion because the soldiers that led him away And I'm going to start at verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head... They placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled inserts at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped inserts on him. Uh, I don't believe that uh, Jesus... uh, stayed on the cross because he was too weak. I believe he stayed on the cross because of his strength. Um, through this journey of Matthew, we've, we've seen over and over where people like, Jesus, do this for me so I can believe in you. Jesus, jump through this hoop and I'll believe you are who you say you are. It's the same thing happening here. Jesus, come down from the cross. If you really are God's son, if you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and everything that you've said is true, then you can come off of that cross. And when you do, then I'll believe in you. And they had no idea. I think Jesus stayed on the cross to save us. (laughs) He didn't come down to save himself. I mean, think about this. By him staying on the cross and that display of strength and power gives us the ability to be saved. Um, I want to invite a friend of mine up here, Aaron Morgan. Um, uh, Give Aaron some love in here. That's... Loving fresh from the oven. Uh, Aaron is in the United States Air Force and uh, in medical school with the United States Air Force. And uh, Aaron's our resident doctor. You know, I'll approach him like, Aaron, I got this, something going on in the sinal region here. Uh, I made up that word just now, the sinal region. Um, it's actually in the medical journal, page 897. Um, and he'll, I'll say, what do you think I ought to do? He's like, go to the doctor. But... Um, uh, but what I invited Aaron up here to do is couple several weeks ago, we sat down at Starbucks. And, and I just asked him, said, Aaron, talk to me from a medical perspective, a physiological perspective, what would have been going on with the cross? And his insight and his wisdom blew my mind. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, from this perspective before. If you have, you, uh, you understand how hard this is. If you haven't. Uh, this is not designed to guilt you or to make you feel sorry for Jesus. This is so we can understand the pain that our Savior went through so we love Him. Uh, that's that's the hope here. I want to make Jesus clear and love you, and I hope that we come away with a new understanding of what our Savior went through so that we can, we can love Him, and we can understand that even through the pain of the cross, how wonderful the cross is. And so, uh, Aaron, I, I just... You know, want to talk about this because we tend to see, picture the Hollywood view of a crucifixion. Um, crucifixion, some believe, was invented by the Babylonians about 500 years before Christ. Others think the Persians invented it about 300 years before Christ. Uh, the truth of it is about 1,100 years before Jesus was born. God spoke of it in Psalm 22. So God's like, I knew, I, I knew. You know, you ever talk to somebody like like Aaron? I'll say something I find out medically. Like, yeah, I know. You ever have that? God can do that sometimes too. It's like, now you're just showing off. But um, uh, I want us to understand the physical side of the cross and uh, what would have been going on. So just, just share with me a little bit. Uh, we talked in the first service. He did a great job in the first service. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh,
1: one of the first things to remember is, in this case, um, Jesus was a carpenter, he was extremely physically fit. He worked with heavy wood all day. He walked all over the countryside all the time. And keep that in mind as, you, as we talk through this process and you think about how horrible this suffering must have been in order to break somebody who is so physically fit and strong in just a few hours. When this process began, they would have taken Jesus, who has already been beaten and bloody and flogged, thrown him on the ground, put the cross member of the the cross behind his back and nailed him to the cross. The arms were not completely outstretched. They would have left him bent, a little bit slack, um, so that if they were completely straight, that would have actually offered him some support. They don't want to have any support for his body. And so his arms would have been bent. The nails, uh, we commonly refer to it being driven through the hands. But in biblical times, the hand could also include the wrist. If it had been driven through the palm of the hand, um, it would have, the hand could not have supported that weight.
0: According to prophecy, there was no bone that was broken in Jesus' body through this process. Um, To drive it through the hand would have shattered uh, several bones, but also, you said that they had done studies with cadavers where the the palm wouldn't support it, but it it, through the the wrist was, in the Greek context, the wrist was part of the hand, so they think it could have been.
1: Yeah, the, the nails could have been driven anywhere through the forearm or as high up as about here. Um, and not have broken any bones. It could have pushed the bones out of the way, should fairly thick bones here. And it could have, the nail could have slid through and pushed those out of the way. This nail that they used is five to seven inches long. It's almost a half inch in diameter. And it's square. It's not round. A round nail would have kind of slid through the flesh without too much damage. This is a square nail. This nail would have torn the flesh. It would have going through the wrist here. It would have crushed the median nerve. Anybody know what carpal tunnel syndrome is? That's the median nerve getting irritated. Now imagine crushing that nerve with a metal nail The spike being driven through it he would have had this burning intense neuropathic pain for hours shooting up into his hand down into his arm the same thing through similar nerves in his feet would have occurred after they nailed him to the cross to the cross member they would have hoisted that up secured it to the vertical post and then they would have nailed his feet as well Similar kind of process, destroying nerves. Another square nail, and the entire process would have been just unimaginably excruciating. His entire weight is supported by a nail through his wrist and a nail through his feet.
0: And um, you know, we uh, we think we think Hollywood—it's kind of a, a serene scene where. You know, they they are nailed. You know, we we tend to equate to movies we've seen. Uh, We tend to equate those nails coming through his his hands and through his feet. And they just stay there until they die. Uh, There's so much going on in the body at this time uh, that uh, most uh, people who were crucified died of asphyxiation. Um, But talk about how breathing Occurs on the cross um, and how, what, what's going on to even try to draw breath.
1: Right. Most people think that your chest goes in and out uh, because you are breathing. In fact, that's backwards. You breathe because your chest is moving in and out. All right. When you're t- you use muscles in your chest wall to expand the chest cavity and that pulls air into the lungs. When you're on the cross, and your arms are stretched up like that, it's pulling your chest wall up and out. Your chest wall is maximally expanded, your maximum inhalation, and you can't exhale. You can't get air out. Air gets trapped in the lungs. uh, Oxygen levels begin to fall. CO2 levels begin to rise. As this CO2 level rises in your body, in your bloodstream, you start going to what we call respiratory acidosis. One of the effects of this respiratory acidosis is that it triggers these uh, chemical receptors in the brainstem that say you're about to die. We call it a, a feeling of impending doom. And this feeling is the feeling that you are at death's doorstep, you are about to die any moment due to the respiratory acidosis. And that feeling lasts for hours during the crucifixion process.
0: Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, crucifixion could take up to die once you were placed on the cross. could take up to nine days. Um, they would, the, the Romans perfected this art of crucifixion and knew how to maximize the pain and keep the person long enough so the suffering was increased. Uh, they, would, they would crucify uh, people of a city or a town and line the streets going into that city or town with those crucified uh, people so that other people would know, don't you're not going to mess with the Romans. Um, they would put a seat on the cross under the victim so that would kind of support some of their weight to prolong the, the crucifixion. Now, here's what's going on with with the religious leaders and the Jews. They needed Jesus dead by sundown because it was Passover. Uh, They had their religious festivals coming up and the Sabbath. And so they needed him dead before sundown. Otherwise, they can't participate in the Passover festivities. I mean, that's a whole other teaching for another time about getting Jesus out of the way so we can continue on with our religious junk. Um, But uh, so they... Had to do some things, and they think that might have been why the flogging was even more severe for Jesus. Um, and so, as he's on there and, and he's trying to breathe, the, he has to pull himself up, right?
1: Right. To, In order to take a breath, what Christ would have had to do is he's got to relieve the pressure on his chest. He has to use his feet and push against the nail driven through his feet, he has to pull against the nail. It's driven through his wrists. If you think about that, as his wrist is out here like this, and he pulls up, that's going to rotate his arm around that nail, tearing flesh every single time he has to take a breath. You can't breathe when when you're stretched out like this. He has to come up every single time to take a breath, to speak. As this process goes on, as oxygen levels are depleted, as his energy is depleted, as he becomes more and more dehydrated, more and more physically exhausted and fatigued, his muscles are gonna start to give out. Your muscles are what primarily holds your shoulder in place. As his muscles weaken, his uh, shoulder would weaken one of those times when Jesus pulled up to take a breath and then collapsed back down in exhaustion his shoulders would have separated would have come out of joint as the process went on the same thing would have happened to his elbows Uh, according to some accounts his arms would have been up to nine inches longer after the crucifixion process because of the joints being separated and everything being stretched out from being up there
0: and I don't know if you've ever done P90X and the, the wall squats. Think about the cramping that occurs in, in your legs. So there's, there's never a point of relief. There's no position to get in where you can relax for even one second. And mentally, your, your body is in this mode of at any second, it's done. At any second, it's done. And most crucifixion victims... Uh, were died of asphyxiation, which means they just the breathing process they couldn't they couldn't endure it and they they, it, they stopped they suffocated. Um, most medical accounts uh, say that that couldn't have been the case with Jesus because Jesus was able to talk. Think about the the energy that it takes just to breathe. You're working yourself just to breathe, but Jesus was talking. Uh, he gave instructions on the care of his mother. He he cried out, "Father, forgive them." for they know not what they're doing. Uh, He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was able to cry, and it's finished. Um, Asphyxiation does not allow that moment of a final breath and a a shout and then death. And So medically there's something else going on here with Jesus uh, because he has to be able to, to speak and then death. Explain that.
1: Right. What likely happened in Jesus' case is from the severe flogging that he received prior to the crucifixion he lost a lot of blood. He entered what's called hypovolemic shock. His body is starting to shut down because it has lost so much blood. His heart begins to fail. He as his heart fails, blood starts backing up in the small vessels and capillaries in the lungs. As that blood pressure increases in those vessels, the liquid component of the blood begins to seep out of the vessels. His lungs begin to fill with water, with, with his fluid. The sac around his heart, the heart's going taste in this fibrous sac, that too begins to feel full of fluid that pushes against the heart with every beat. As this process continues, it puts more and more stress on the heart until the point where the heart gives up. It gives out. It can literally rupture. It can burst. You can have sudden ventricular rupture, which is the, ch- the muscle wall of the heart literally tears open. And we call it broken heart syndrome. So Jesus literally died of a broken heart, paying for our sins. And I
0: think that the stress is what causes that broken heart. Um, Think about the stress Jesus had gone through, the betrayal, um, the desertion, the false accusations, the physical beating. Think about that moment when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long had Jesus been in communion and relationship and connection with God the Father? For eternity. And at this moment, the weight of our sin, the sin of mankind, was laid on Jesus' shoulders. And think about the stress of that moment where it just, all he had known was complete relationship with his Father. And the stress of that moment that uh, breaks the heart of God, and He cries, "It is finished." Um, I believe that Jesus died of a broken heart for us, but the story doesn't end there. You know, and I, Aaron, thank you so much. I'm um, give Aaron a hand. I, I appreciate. Hey, I appreciate his knowledge and wisdom that goes way beyond mine. Um, uh, he'll be all of our resident doctor. Uh, just don't stop him in the hallway going, what do you think of this? Um, I don't want to see that. But uh, uh, the beautiful thing is the story doesn't end there. Um, when Jesus gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. What did he finish? He finished the work of salvation. I mean, we have complicated things so much to the point that we think we have to work to earn God's favor, that we think we're saved by what we can do. Uh, let's understand this. Before the world was even created, before the foundation of the world was even poured, Jesus said, "I will be the Lamb slain. I will be the sacrifice." I will be what it requires for us, for God to have his people. And for eternity, he had this in front of him. And from the cross, he has that glory and that knowledge that it is finished. He did it and he will not do it again. And he has paid for us once for all. And that those who believe in him... We, see, we don't believe in, a, in Jesus on the cross. The cross is empty. We don't believe in a, a Jesus that lays in the tomb because the tomb is empty. We believe in a risen Savior who by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, called him from the grave. And that's what gives us hope that we can look at how excruciating the suffering is in this moment. But the hope is that the cross is empty. The hope is that the tomb is empty. The hope is that God loves us so much that he gave of his son to endure this so that we can have life. And so my my hope is that we we don't feel guilty about it. And we don't feel sympathy for Jesus, but we fall in love with a Savior who is willing to endure the most excruciating pain imaginable. Not just physically, not just emotionally, but spiritually. The most unimaginable pain so that we could have atonement. We could have that oneness with God. We could have that relationship and we don't work for it. We don't do it. Let me, let me teach you a term here. It's called imputation. It means this, that, that when Christ gave himself on the cross, he paid for everything. He paid for all of our sin. But we have to appropriate that. We have to let that be on our account. So when we trust Jesus, when we actually give God back the faith he gives us, and say, Jesus, I trust. I don't just believe it in my head. I want us to have an academically solid faith. That's why I wanted Aaron to talk through this. But I want us to have a a solid foundation of faith academically, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Let's engage all of us. Let's not check our head at the door when we come to church. I don't want us to be a people that believe in Jesus because we're too stupid to think otherwise. I want us to come with them head and heart. And full at it. And when we put that faith in Christ, imputation occurs. He takes the sin that's on our account, he moves it to Jesus. He takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it on our account. Think about this. When we stand before God, we are judged on the righteousness of Jesus. That his blood covers our sin. That's why we love him. That's why he went to the cross so he could pay for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We thank you for uh, loving us so much that you gave yourself, that, that, that you allowed this to happen knowing what the joy beyond the cross would be. And, and so, Father, we humble ourselves before you uh, we we pray that you have connected our minds with our hearts, so that intellectually we have grown. but God, take it so much more than that. Let us grow spiritually. Let us grow closer to you. And Father, help us to understand that it 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 is only through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can have life. Not just eternal life beyond our physical life, but life now and life to the full that that we can live as your children. And so, Father, we trust you. In, in, In a beautiful, redeeming way, we thank you For going to the cross so that we don't have to pay a debt we can never pay. And we trust you. We love you. We thank you that when we see the cross, we see the beauty of a Savior, that we see the sacrifice. And what you were willing to do to have a relationship with us. So Jesus, we tell you now we love you. We lay our life before you. And we just ask that you help us. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to give our faith to you and our trust. Lord, we commit to growing closer to you. We love you so much. in Jesus' name.